Would you pray with me? Father, what a great security we can find in being able to let go of the things that we hold so tightly to in our lives, trying to manage our weeks, trying to manage relationships, uh, trying to uh, direct our own steps and, and achieve our own goals. And ultimately, God, we, we fail at those things because we're not the one who's in control. But you are. We don't know what lies ahead for us, but you do. We don't know the hearts and the minds of the people that we're interacting with, but God, you do. And you know ours. And so we, we sing songs and, and prayerful songs where, where we say to you, God, we hold these things with open hands. And for some, that, that's a, a great freedom. And for others, that's, that comes with a great pain because sometimes the pain of letting go and trusting is hard and it runs deep. So God, would you meet us where we're at? Would you let your spirit continue to uh, minister to us, grow our faith, build our faith, and turn our eyes upon you this morning so that the things that seem big in our world, really they become small in comparison to who you are. The things that we think matter and make all the difference, they become minimal in comparison and in light of you and what you've done. God, would you continue to draw us in to worship you as we now look at your scripture? The, the, the written word that you've taken time to have recorded and passed on through the ages so that people would know 2,000 years from, from the day Christ walked the earth how great your love is and how powerful you are and how worthy of worship, worthy of our worship, you are. So God, guide us this morning. Let your spirit be present and teach I pray, God, that you would move me out of the way if you need to do that, but that your, your word would come forth loud and clear and that the Spirit would apply to each person so that they won't leave here the same. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're looking at who is Heaston Church. That's for the next three weeks. We started that last week, and we're looking at our core values. And then we're going to look at what's our mission statement. What do we say we're about? Why do we do what we do? And then we're going to end that, this series with where do we think God's been leading this church and this leadership, and how do you fit in that, and, and is God leading you to fit in that? And so uh, we're talking about core values, uh, and a core value is something that uh, a person believes at their very core, right? You think about how important a core is to something. It stabilizes right? It's what holds your, if you're talking about your body, it's what holds your posture in the right place. It's what gives you your balance. A core is very important. You think about the core of, of other things that, uh, that hold it together, and if the core is weak, it's weak. And a core value is something that we believe to our very core, where we say this is what is important to us. It's not the only things that's important to us, but these are some of the most important things to us as a church that define who we are. And so when things get heated and when, when the pressure rises, this is what you're going to see come out of us. This is what we're going to stand on and make our decisions based on our core values. And so uh, last week we, we looked at uh, how important the word of God was to Heaston Church. And today it's grace. It's grace. Uh, anyone been in a Starbucks line where the person in front of you paid for you? Anybody? That's because a lot of you don't go to Starbucks. Okay, what about McDonald's? 
Yeah, okay. Anybody been in a line anywhere where the person in front of you paid for you? Okay, I'm getting a few more hands. All right. Well, I've experienced this. Let me, let me just give you my experience. And it's called this pay it forward. Have you maybe seen this in the news? Where the person in front, it's kind of happening at the Starbucks. Maybe you've experienced it. Chick-fil-A. Let, there we go. Chick-fil-A. Who's been to Chick-fil-A and someone in front of you paid? Really? Just, okay, just a few more hands. Okay, man, I'm going to have to figure out where you go that people pay for you. Or maybe you just don't have people paying for you. But it's called paying it for. And, and maybe you've seen this in the news where, where the person just somewhere, somebody got it in their heart. I'm going to pay for the person behind me. And then it starts this trickle effect, right? And what happens? Well, you get to the drive-thru and, and they say, hey, your, your, uh, your mocha frappuccino has been paid for by the person in front of you. Would you like to pay for the person in, in behind you? And you're like, well, how can I say no to that? Yeah, so, or maybe you're like, well, what did they get, you know, first, you know? <laughs> That'd be my answer. Well, what did they order? I'm just the coffee guy. It's like two bucks. What did they order, you know? Um, but what happens is it's just trickle effect, Right. Most of us would not likely be that person to start it off because it really, it takes us getting something, receiving something like that in order for us to catch the vision to do it and to, to, to pass it on. You know, grace is like that. Uh, we all talk about grace. We all stand upon grace. I mean, like, grace is one of those words in, in Protestant Christianity where, man, if you don't have grace, you're a heretic. So we all talk about grace, saved by grace. God's grace, 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 greater than all our sin, right? I mean, grace is that word we just throw around. But do you know most of us don't get grace? Most of us do not get grace. And you can tell by the way we live, you can tell by the way we talk, and you can tell by the way we treat others. We, we throw that word around, but it's not in our core because we don't get it. And in order for us to give grace, we have to get grace grace, like understand it. And so this morning, as we talk about grace, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you want to go and turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to look at, at one, there's some Bibles in front of you there. And I'll say this, I haven't said in a while, but it always is true. If you don't have a Bible of your own or the one that you have doesn't work for you and you open up this one from the pew and it works for you, makes sense, uh, let that be our gift to you. Take it home. We want you to have a Bible that you can understand. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 15, if you are turning uh, to it in that pew Bible, it's going to be on page 1297, page 1297. So 1 Corinthians, uh, before we just kind of jump into the end of the letter, uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul, you know, that, that's the Paul we all know. If, you know. if you know nothing else about Christianity, you know two names. You know Jesus and you know Paul because both of them cause controversy. This is the Paul we're talking about. But do you know before Paul was the Apostle Paul? His name was Saul. And, and what we've got is, is a guy who uh, used to be named Saul who was very energetically going after a group of people. We've got a guy who, who uh, had, had lived at the time when Jesus was around and died, heard about it, seen it maybe. Maybe he was there, maybe he wasn't, but he knew he was close to that event. And all of a sudden, after Jesus died, this new movement starts. And this new movement kind of picked up a name. It's called The Way. And, and people started uh, talking about this Jesus and, and, and The Way. And so Paul saw that as a threat. So Paul, he's, he's persecuting this group called The Way. And these people are talking about Jesus, and he sees that as a threat to his belief system. He sees it as a threat to Jewish uh, belief system because he was a leader in the Jewish faith. 
And so he actually, uh, because he loved God so much, and because he was so uh, zealous for his beliefs, he actually goes and he's killing off these Christians. He actually goes and, and he's persecuting people who follow the way. He's going into towns and he's pulling them out of houses and he's throwing them in prison. And he's actually on the road to Damascus to do that very thing, to go and pull people and families who follow the way out of their homes. And on the way, he's stopped in his tracks by a blinding light. And he's actually blinded. And he's thrown off of his horse. And as, he's, as he lays there on the ground, uh, and, he, and, he, and he can't see, he hears this voice and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul was on his way to persecute, but at the moment, he wasn't persecuting anyone. And, and here's this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, well, who are you, Lord? And it says, he sa- the voice says, this is Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, in that moment, Saul must, Saul's heart must have just stopped. You see, Saul wasn't actually persecuting Jesus. Jesus was dead. He was persecuting the people who followed Jesus. And so to be blinded and to be thrown off his horse and to hear this voice that says, this is Jesus, the person you're persecuting, must have wrecked his world because he's supposed to be dead. But all these followers are saying he's risen. And now he's talking to Paul. And so, so we get this conversion experience where Saul becomes Paul. And he becomes this great this great apostle, and he writes this letter to the, the church in, Corinthian, uh, in Corinth. And he addresses several different issues, and he starts off with, there's division in the church in Corinth. You're all kind of getting behind different people. You know, some of you like Peter the best. You like the way he speaks. After all, Peter's the Jewish pillar. I mean, he's the one who, who kind of started it all off. Some of you like this guy, Apollos. Apollos is very polished. You kind of like he's eloquent. And some of you like Paul. Some of you like how, how, how I speak. And, and the church was being divided because of who they were following and getting behind. And so he addresses that and says, that's, that's not right. And he addresses other behavior that's going on in the church that really characterizes more pagans, people who aren't followers of Christ, and it should followers of Christ. And he addresses that. And then he addresses spiritual gifts because that was causing division also. Some of you think your gift makes you more spiritual than others. Stop it. That's what he's paraphrasing, stop it, you know, all the gifts are needed. And then he gets to this point in chapter 15 where apparently there was some teaching that had risen up, some false teaching where, where people were saying, hey, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. And, you know, there were, there were different theories. You know, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, well, how do we explain where his body is? You know, and some people would say, well, his body was stolen. Other people would say uh, that, um, you know, that, that uh, he just was in a coma, and so he, he, he woke up and walked out. You know, whatever they were saying, Paul felt like he needed to address it. And so chapter 15 is where we get Paul addressing this issue, saying Jesus actually did rise from the dead. This is part of our gospel. He actually did rise from the dead. In fact, here's how we know Jesus rose from the dead. And he starts to explain. He, he appeared to witnesses, eyewitnesses. He appeared to a group of 500 and more. He, he, appeared, to, he appeared to Peter and to James and, and these individuals. And then he describes this person. He says, last of all, he, dis- he appeared to, to one who was born at, at the wrong time. And that person who he's talking about being born at the wrong time is himself because he's recalling his experience. You see, because Paul, Paul was not someone who uh, was original among the 12 disciples. 
He was not someone who was original among the apostles. He wasn't there from the very baptism of Jesus to the very resurrection. In fact, he was persecuting these people. And so Paul says, I was born at the at a wrong time with regard to being an apostle. And then we pick up in our verse, which is going to be verse 10. Chapter 15, verse 10. Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is the way we preach. And this is the way you believed. So Paul starts out as, as, he's, as he's talking about the resurrection of Christ and he says, by God's grace, I am what I am. The first thing about grace that we need to understand is that grace is given freely. It's given freely. By God's grace is what Paul says. By God's grace. See, God's grace is given at God's prerogative. God's grace is given as God wants to give it to who he wants to give it at the time he wants to give it. It's his grace. And it's given freely. He doesn't sit back and wait for someone to earn it. He doesn't sit back and wait for someone to perform. He gives it when he wants to give it. He gives it in the measure that he wants to give it. And Paul is saying it's by God's grace that I am what I am, because grace is given freely. Paul understood this, that it, it has nothing to do with the way Paul lived. In fact, Paul's life is so clear on that fact that it has nothing to do, the grace that Paul received has nothing to do with the way Paul was living, because Paul was actually on his way to go kill followers of Christ. Paul was very actively and energetically pursuing and persecuting followers of Christ. He wasn't interested in God. He wasn't a seeker. He didn't have questions about this Jesus. He knew who he was, and he knew he was an imposter, and he knew everyone who followed him had to stop. And so Paul stopped dead in his tracks because it was God's timing, it was God's grace, and it opened Paul's eyes. Grace was given freely. You know, there's an, another, another passage that Paul writes it's in the book of Ephesians. Uh, you can either turn there if you'd like or I'll have it on the, on the uh, screen. If you're in the Pew Bibles, you're gonna go to page 1318. Paul says it this way as he writes this letter to the Ephesians in chapter two, verse four. He's just finished telling the Ephesians, hey, all of you, all of us, we were all dead, spiritually dead in regards to our relationship with God. And he goes on in, 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 in verse four and he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. By grace, Paul says, you've been saved. It was God's mercy extended to people who were dead in trespasses and sins, people who were dead before God, that God extended his grace. It is freely given. It is not earned. Paul would say in another spot in the book of Romans that a person who works and does a job, he earns his pay. But grace doesn't work that way. You don't earn grace. You're not obligated to receive grace. Grace is just given freely. 
apart from who you are, apart from what you do, apart from what you'll ever do. It's freely given. And there's not a person on this earth, apart from Christ himself, who is beyond that grace, who doesn't need that grace. There's not a person in this room who didn't, uh, who's placed their trust in Christ, who didn't receive that grace. Some received more than others, but the bottom line is it's all grace. Because at the end of the day, there's no room for boasting. It'd be like, you know, if this guitar could talk. The guitar can't boast in the music that it makes because it has to have someone playing it to make the music. You know, as Justin Borneman's up here wailing on his guitar and it's doing that wah, wah thing, he can't, the, the guitar can't boast because it needs the wah pedal. <laughs> and it needs someone to play it. Right? The, it, the drums can't boast in the beats they lay down because it needs a drummer to be laying down those beats. It seems foolish that if, if the drums were to come alive and talk, they'd say, hey, check out the beats I lay down, and there's no one at them. It would be foolish. It's exactly the same for you and I to say, hey, check me out. This is why God accepted me. It's foolish because we are but instruments in the hands of a gracious God, and that grace that we've received has been freely given. And so Paul would say there's not a person beyond that grace, and he would say it this way in Romans 3, for all have sinned and are fallen short of the glory of God. You know, we use that verse a lot of times and we use it in evangelism, but he actually wrote that to a church filled with people who were already believers and followers of Christ. A church who had divisions because some people thought they were better than others. And so Paul is reminding them, there's not a one of you in here, Church of Rome, that's beyond God's grace because every single one has fallen short and in need of God, God's grace. Grace is freely given. Grace is not fair. It, it, it's not fair. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's just freely given. Grace. But Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 and he says, so it's by God's grace that I am what I am. Okay, now pause. Be honest. How many just thought pie pie? Any of you? I am what I am. That's bad, but you know what I'm saying, okay? Go Google it. I can't. I tried to get my Pi Pi voice, and it wasn't working. Paul says, by God's grace, I am what I am. Grace defines you. It defines you. Paul realized he knew who he was apart from God's grace, and he knew who he was after. And Paul was an apostle. He was one of those big dogs. He was one of the ones who was shaping the direction of the church. In fact, he was planting churches, and people knew his name as he would travel around. Paul was a big dude. But he says, it's by grace that I am who I am. The very, the very power and the very influence that come, came for Paul with being an apostle, the, ver, the very uh, achievements that he had and all the, of the churches that he planted, all the people that God used him to save, all the arguments and the, 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 uh, the, the conversations Paul got in with those philosophers where Paul was able to, to appoint them, those great thinkers, to God and show them how they already acknowledged that God existed. They just needed to know who he was. All of that, Paul says... I am who I am because of God's grace. God's grace defines me. God's grace defines you and me so that whoever we are, 
It's by God's grace. So whatever talents you bring to the table, it's because God's allowed you by his grace to have that and to use that. And in a moment, he could take it away. It, it's by God's grace that if you have a, have a skill set that you've honed over the years and has, has uh, used it to propel you to success, that very success that you have is a result of God's grace because we're not for God allowing you to have success. For God being in the midst of that, you wouldn't have it. And it can be taken away in a moment because it's by God's grace you are who you are. And I am who I am. Grace defines us. Now, I feel like I need to say something here because um, some, maybe not some in here, but some you may interact with, might get a phrase like that where I say, grace defines you, and it's by God's grace, Paul says, I am who I am. And in today's culture, they're going to say, well, see, I was born this way when it comes to my attraction to the same, same gender. And so they might look at a verse like this. And, and, and so you may remember me saying that you can support anything from the Bible. You just take it and twist it or take it out of context. Here's an example where I can see that, right? So you get this and Paul says, it's by God's grace that I am who I am. I am because God's grace. And because of the way that the argument for same uh, gender relationships and marriage has been couched and phrased these, uh, these days is that it's actually you're born that way and you have no choice in the matter. And, and, and that it's part of your identity, someone could go to this first and say, it's by God's grace I am who I am. That's not what we're saying here. That's not at all what we're saying here. Because what Paul is saying here is, God changed my life. He took me off of one road, which was pursuing sin, and he put me on another road, and now I'm pursuing him. And everything I accomplish as a result of pursuing him it's his grace, and it leaves no room for me to boast. But you can't say that about something that is sinful. Paul's saying that about his very position, his very influence, and his very accomplishments. He would say it in another, another letter to the church at Philippi, everything that I once considered gain, I now count as lost. He's talking about pursuing Christ. He's talking about pursuing his Savior. And so this verse can't be used to support, well, it's who I am. I have no, ex I, you, you can't judge me. I have no excuse. We're going to come around to that here in just a minute. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not making an excuse for who he was. He's saying, I can't boast in who I now am because I've been changed and it had nothing to do with me. By God's grace, Paul says, I am who I am. So God's grace defines us so that it leaves no room for us to boast so that whatever you bring to the table, it's by God's grace. Now this next one requires that we get these first two. Because remember I said you can't give grace unless you get grace? And most of us don't get grace. Most of us don't get the fact that grace is freely given. Okay, and, and, and if we get that, or even if we don't, then we get to the second part. Most of us don't get that everything we have and everything we are is because of God's grace. See, a lot of us like to say, I'm saved by grace, but then we boast in what we do. Or we boast in what we bring to the table. Where Paul would say, no, it's by God's grace you are who you are. You have no room to boast. If you get those two things, 
then this next one will come a little easier to you. But if you don't get those two things, that grace is freely given, and that grace defines who you are, you're going to be nowhere near this next one where grace frees you to let others be who they are. Grace frees you to let others be who they are. Paul says this as he goes on in verse 5, uh, chapter 15, verse 11. You remember at the beginning of the letter, I said he had talked about some divisions that took place. Some follow Paul, some Paul follow Peter, some follow Apollos. And those were Peter and James, some of the people who saw the resurrection. These were guys that walked with Jesus. These are people who, who actually saw Jesus baptized and saw him raised. These are people who have been following Christ for a while, whereas Paul, one born at the wrong time, wasn't. That's different backgrounds. That's different experiences. And as Paul writes to this church, he says in verse 11, so whether then it was I or they, the they being those other teachers that this church has heard, that this church has been influenced by, teachers who had different backgrounds, teachers who went about their ministry in a different way. You know, Paul seems to be a little more in your face. Maybe some of these other guys were a little le less in your face, a little more gentle. Paul says it doesn't matter whether it was me or them. We all preach the same message. He says this is the way we preach and this is the way you believed. Paul's not trying to build himself a following in Corinth. Paul's not trying to say, well, here's why you should follow me. Stop following Paul. I mean, uh, Peter, stop following Apollos. Follow me because I had this special event happen in my life that none of those guys did. He doesn't do that. He says it doesn't matter who you're following. And you know, as a, as a public personality that Paul would be, as a person with a position of power and a position of influence, you know how hard it is to release that and say it doesn't matter who you're being influenced by. They all taught the same message. So if you're more influenced by that person and, and, and they connect with you better, it's God's grace. And, and Paul would say, praise God. And, and, and if you like Apollos, because, man, he doesn't step on your toes as much, he still gets the same truth in, but he delivers it in a way that's a little more gentle, well, praise God, it doesn't matter. They're all preaching the same message. Paul allows all those other apostles to be who they are and he's comfortable with that because they're different from him. They go about it in a different way. They have different experiences than Paul does. Paul's got one of those dramatic testimonies. You know, the one, the one that we sensationalize in Christianity. You know, I was, a, I was a drug dealer, drug lord, you know, killed people in prison, but then God saved me and now I'm just pursuing him. It's like one of those as opposed to I grew up I was saved at five. I was homeschooled all my life and I always just knew about God. Not so sensational, right? In our world. Shame on us for making that division. Paul's saying it doesn't matter what the background is. It doesn't matter who they are. They are who they are by God's grace and Paul's comfortable letting them be who they are by God's grace because grace frees you to let others be who they are, to be different. Now again, we're talking about people who have been changed and who are now pursuing God. Obviously, I'm standing up here and I don't believe that a person has no choice in the matter with regard to same-sex relationships. I believe people are born with a propensity, a, a leaning towards certain types of sin. 
I believe someone who maybe struggles with alcoholism was probably born with a tendency to lean that way. A person who, who struggles with anger and a temper maybe was born and has a ten, ten, tendency to lean that way. A person who has same-sex orientation and attraction is probably born and leans that way, but in all of those cases, to actually act on that and pursue that is not right. Take the sin, whatever it is, pull yourself back from the most controversial ones, and we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what it means, is that we have no other option. We're just born with certain leanings. Yeah, we can do good things. Yeah, we can do things that appear good to other people and probably are good. But when it comes to earning our, 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 our acceptance before God, it doesn't. We can't earn it. Because God gives grace. And so when I, when I say grace frees you to let others be who you are or to be who they are, what I'm not saying is you let others be and pursue sin, whatever that is. That's not saying you keep your mouth shut and you don't, as a brother or sister, come alongside someone and say, hey, that's not right. That's going to cause some destruction in your life. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. If you know anything about Paul and Peter's relationship, in the book of Galatians, Paul, who's free, who's, who's free to let other people be who they are, actually calls Peter out. Hey, Peter, you're living in sin. You've got bacon on your breath, but now these people from Jerusalem come and you're denying ever eating the bacon. Galatians chapter 2, I just paraphrased that. Okay? <laughs> Paul confronted sin because in his love and he understood grace, that grace is not something to be abused. It's something that changes who you are. It's something that should motivate the way you live. But grace should free us to let others be who they are. And so what that looks like for us maybe in the church is, so someone shows up to your Bible study and, you know, <clears throat> up to your Bible study and you're more concerned about how their life their choices don't quite line up as well as your life and your choices do. I mean, if you spend more time thinking about how someone else's life isn't as it should be instead of focusing in on how your life should be, you probably don't get grace because you, you're not free to let them be who they are. And, and what I mean is, you, it's not to excuse sin, but if you really felt a new grace and you see a problem in someone's life, instead of sitting there thinking about how they don't measure up as well as you do, you'd go alongside them. You'd build a relationship with them. You'd try to understand what's going on in their life, why they're making the choices they're making. And as you earn trust, you speak into their life with love and with gentleness, and you show them why it doesn't line up, and you show them the better way. But that's not what most of us do, because most of us don't get grace. If you spend more time comparing yourself to someone else, man, that, that guy really has got a witty personality. I wish I was like that. Man, she, I really wish I looked like she looked. And you're comparing yourself. I wish, wish I could speak like he spoke. I wish I could play the football like he played football. I wish I was athletic. If you start comparing yourself to other people, you don't get grace. Because you don't get that second point. It's by God's grace 
you are who you are. And so some are good speakers and some are not, but they excel in other things. Some are athletic and some are academic. Some are both. And it's all because of God's grace. Some are artistic. Some have, have tremendous insight and wisdom. But it's all by God's grace. Because it's by God's grace we are who we are. And so if, we're gonna fr- if, if grace is going to free us up to let others be who, who they are, we've got to stop comparing ourselves to say, well, if I was only that spiritual, then I could do this. Stop it. You are who you are by God's grace, and you're growing at the rate you're growing. And everyone grows different. And so for the person who's more mature in their faith to look down on the person who's a baby in their faith and expect them to act like the person who's been a believer for many years, it's ridiculous. No one did that to you. Or if they did, I'm sorry they did that to you. But it's God's grace that frees us to let others be who they are so that that a mature believer, a person who's been a believer for years can look at the person who's a new believer and say, you know what, their life has changed. And as they grow in their understanding of God and who he is, some of those other things may change. And instead, we take a step back, we let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and work on their life. Maybe if we have a relationship, we come alongside them and we disciple them that would be, be much better than stepping back and saying, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they're wearing that. I can't believe they said that. Grace frees us to let people be who they are because it understands that people grow at different rates. Some people may get God's lessons right away. Other people, man, it may take them years to get the lesson you got in a day. The fact that you got in a day is God's grace. The fact that they get it at all is God's grace. Because grace is freely given. It's not earned. And who we are, it's by God's grace. And so grace frees us to let others be who they are. Not excuse sin, but to release people so that they have room to grow instead of oppressing them and and choking out the air in an environment where they could grow. Grace steps back and says, you know what? I struggled with that too when I was younger. Or I I still struggle with this. I get it. I'm going to pray. Or I'm just going to build that relationship. And if God wants to use me, God will use me. Grace. Are you a person who frees people? Or are you more of a person who puts a burden on people? Depending on which way you lean, you'll have a better understanding of whether you get grace or not. So we're talking about our core values, and at Houston Church, one of our core values is grace. And and we're committed to it. Now, this is probably one of the hardest core values we have to live by. And when I say, you know, grace is important to us, when I say the Bible is important to us, I'm not saying we get it right every time. I'm not saying we're perfect. But what I'm saying is we are committed to it. And we're committed in growing in it. And we are committed in knocking down walls of legalism and judgment where they don't belong. And we are committed to allowing people room to grow at the rate God is growing them. Grace. We as leaders will not always get it right, and that's not what I'm saying either. We understand we need grace just as much as I'm preaching that everyone needs grace. It starts with us. 
we need to grow in our understanding of grace so that we can lead and guide and shepherd by grace. We're not exempt. And so we're not, we're not saying that. But what I want you to know, and, and especially if you're visiting, is that grace is something that Easton Church stands on. We're committed to pursuing it. We're committed in growing in it and growing in our understanding of it so that we can continue to give it to others. And where we've not given it to others, we want to continue to grow so that we become aware of that so that we can extend it to others. Because grace is something that's freely given to all of us. And if you don't look like me, and you don't talk like me, you don't think like me, your background is not the same as mine, that doesn't mean you're worse than I am. It means you're different. It means God's designed you differently than he has me. And I need to be comfortable and not threatened by the difference because by God's grace, I am who I am and you are who you are. But that's, that's hard. It's risky. Grace is very risky because if you actually start living by grace and giving people the freedom to live by grace, it can be abused. People can just take it and say, well, grace, great, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. Uh, see ya. I'm not going to be here for the next several Sundays because Saturday night, living it up, and I'm going to have a headache the next morning. Grace can be abused. Uh, grace can be an excuse for someone to never grow. It doesn't mean we shouldn't give it. We were given it. Grace is risky. Grace is not fair. You know, some, some of us, we were, we were raised differently, and by God's grace, we had parents who loved God and pointed us to God. Others, not so much. And it's real easy for those who were born in a Christian home, grew up in the church, look at someone who, man, they get saved when they're 40, and God just starts working through them, and you're going, well, God, what about me? I've been faithful all these years. And yeah, there's a story about that in the Bible, too. Grace is not fair. God gives grace when he gives grace. I mean, look at Paul. He says, I worked harder than all of them, he says. Paul, the one who was persecuting the church, plants the most churches. Paul, the one who was killing all the Christians, is the apostle most everyone knows by name, even if you're not a Christian. You know Jesus and you know Paul. Grace is not fair. But we're committed to grace. We're committed in growing in it, we're committed in living it. And we want you to be as well. And so the decisions we make uh, to, to, to uh, people who are not necessarily in the, in the leadership of the church, it may not seem fair. And those of you in leadership, you know there's times where leadership does not get to make uh, decisions and tell you all the details. Or you may not know all the details of a situation, so you start comparing them. Boy, I experienced that a whole lot at the college I was at beforehand where I had to make a tough decision and I had to fire two people. But I couldn't tell anyone else why except for the people who were in the know. Grace means each situation is going to be handled differently based on the details of that situation. It's grace. So you don't get grace. I mean, you can't give grace unless you get it. And we want to get it here at Houston. We want you to get it 
here at Houston. And so we all want to grow together as we try to get and understand grace and know what that looks like for us in all of our relationships. And so God, uh, I, I'm very aware as I, I preach a message like this that uh, I, I need it. Man, some of the very things I'm saying I, I can be guilty of, have done. I'm not exempt from it. None of us are, God. And yet to not preach it just because it can be abused and to not live it and give it just because it can be abused is not acceptable either. Because, God, you give it knowing that it will be abused. And it doesn't stop you from giving it. And it doesn't stop you from pouring it out upon us. And even after we're saved by your grace and we're in that process of growing, you continue to pour it upon us. Many of the times we don't deserve it. And yet it's by your grace we move forward. So God, would you let this be a church that continues to grow in understanding what grace is and how we've been given it and free us up, God, to, to give it to others. Show us those areas where we're not living by grace. We're not standing on grace. And God, do it so that, that Christ will be glorified in the way we live and treat others. It's in his name that I ask. Amen. And with that, let me, uh, let me dismiss us. God has freely given his grace. He didn't hold back. He didn't look at you and say, get cleaned up first. He said, come to me and I'll clean you. So go and give people the same grace that you've been shown and do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.